2: You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live. F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is Papaya Got a Brand New Bag. That's suggested by Darren Johnston on Twitter... Harry Lye is the runner up suggesting alpining for some luck I'm your host Richard Reddy but my friends call me Spanner so let's be friends if you haven't seen the race yet I'm I'm not going to spoil it for you but Verstappen won by by loads the biggest winning margin since 1487 Max Verstappen wins by 30 seconds of course no safety car here which is rare these days but it means that margin of advantage wasn't concealed but as far as 2023 goes that advantage was ever thus it's the most race wins in a row for an f1 team ever 12 and had mercedes not won in interlagos it would be well over 20 is it man is it machine is there anything worth left to fight for is there any point in following formula one anymore of course there is you absolute nutters F1 is bloody brilliant. If you disagree, you're a turnip. So today, we are going to talk about this fantastic battle brewing between McLaren and Lewis Hamilton. I'm joking, I'm joking. McLaren and Mercedes. Was the Perez drive really a statement? Where is Aston Martin and where on earth did their form go? What did they tell Alonso was going to happen in the development phase? Because he seems very, very surprised. And of course, we'll analyse how well Wang Yu Zhou executed the now traditional Bottas Bolarama Maneuver at the Hungaro Ring, who says he's not learning anything at Sauber. We're an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our loving and supporting partners. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm joined in the shed by tile whisperer Matt. Two rumpets. Hey,
1: Matt. Joe and a Ricardo. And Ocon and a Gasly corner pocket. It was. It was like a game of F1 billiards. It was it was just incredible.
2: I, I watched it from, I think, Ocon's on board, and obviously yeah. feeling for you as a massive Ocon fan. And at first, the whole universe just opened up for him. And there was a massive gap for him to sail into. The exact gap that happened to be the very end of that billiard sequence you described.
1: Yeah, it was a, it was a remarkable confluence of events. And as you noted in the opening, very Bottas-like.
2: It very much was. We're joined by the universally popular Brad Philpot. How's it going, Brad? So we had lots of questions to be answered this weekend,
3: and some of them have been answered, like, is the McLaren pace from Silverstone real? Mm. And how will Ricardo do in mm. his new old home? And some of them are answered, and some other questions, like... Are the rest of the field in general closer to Red Bull were answered in a way that we might not like?
2: Mm, Yeah. Well, it depends on which side of the fence you are. You and I are both staunch neutral, so it won't matter too much to us. And we're also joined by the edgiest of F1 pundits and local radio F1 darling, Kyle Power. Hey, Kyle.
4: Hey, we finally get some softer tyres from Pirelli, but then they're nerfed by the ATA. But but we, you in particular, have been just
2: ranting about that. What's ATA? (laughs)
4: the alternative tyre allocation.
2: Oh, the qualifying format. I think that's interesting. Mm. We will definitely get into that. That is your panel. And let's get on with reviewing this race. So what we tend to do here on Miss Apex Podcast for race reviews is get stuck into the things we find most interesting. So yes, we will talk about Max Verstappen's fantastic soaring eagle-like performance like a trained owl swooping in for his uh, keepers uh, a bit of worm or whatever whatever owls do he was magnificent and we're gonna cover that don't don't worry Verstappen fans but the thing of most interest in this race was the battle for P2 and I would suggest it was Lewis Hamilton's to lose would be uh would be my start point point. And very much we saw that both McLarens were going to be in the fight. And we had a Sergio Perez coming from the back, taking his now traditional driver of the weekend performance from an under-qualifying position up to challenging for second place. So where do we start in this P2 battle? So I think I'm going to go to Brad as the most kind of declared Hamilton fan out of, out of us lot. So you and me, I think we're out and out Hamilton fans. So we'll will admit that. Brad, are you going to sit there here, here and deny it now? I was
3: forced into, I was polarized by events from a couple of years ago. Oh, okay. So, so you took i, I never normally consider myself a fan of a particular driver, but. You took a camp, didn't you, for
2: Twitter followers? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> there you go. So there's your, your Lewis Hamilton yellow Mercedes hat. Uh, but look, I think we're both fans and admirers of how Lewis Hamilton drives. Immediately, turn one, he, in my opinion, fluffed four, it. Four, yes. Yeah. And I think as fans of Lewis Hamilton, you have to be, and fans of any driver, you can't set your driver up as a god. When, when there's a mistake, you have to point out the mistake. I was so surprised how far and how hard he squeezed Verstappen when the move was basically lost already.
3: Yeah, exactly. So the start itself was fine. His his actual initial getaway was okay. Verstappen's was better, though, because from further back okay. he drew alongside. Matt's shaking his yeah, head. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to Matt. I was looking at exactly how Hamilton was positioning himself, and he'd very much immediately angled towards Verstappen to try and cut him off. But unfortunately, what happens in an early phase of a start, if you've got that kind of steering angle on and you're struggling for traction and you don't happen to just really nail that initial um, part of the start, you make your life more difficult because you can't put as much power down with any steering angle in. I don't know whether that is the reason that Verstappen drew alongside, but for whatever reason, Max from the dirty side of the grid did manage to draw pretty much fully alongside. And as you mentioned from quite early on, it looked like that move was done. There's no way once you're that far up the inside at turn one at Hungary on the first lap, you're not coming out of at least the the turn in and apex and early exit phase of the first corner ahead. So Hamilton really at that point needed to regroup, take a different stance and slot in and try and cut back. But by squeezing Max so much, they put him under complete threat from the two McLarens, and they duly got past.
2: Uh, Matt, you had uh, some thoughts there on the start
3: phase.
1: Uh, yeah, I did. Specifically, Hamilton himself admitted he had wheel spin at the start, even though, well, he said, "I hit my numbers, and I still had wheel spin." And it sounded like he was going to say, "Well, this is what my engineers told me to do," but then he sort of backed off and said, "Well, we'll 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 have we'll have a look at it." But fundamentally, he did not get off to a good start. And that's why we saw that squeeze maneuver, which I think had been planned from the start, not work out for him.
4: Kyle? Yeah. In Hamilton's defense on the start, and I completely get what Brad's saying, that he, he he should have maybe slotted back in. Now, going down to turn one, there's an awful lot going on. He probably had lost the McLarens in his mirrors and wasn't sure where they were. So he couldn't exactly, he was overlapped with Verstappen. So if he then backed off and tried to, slot in i'm pretty sure that he was thinking that there's definitely going to be a mclaren on the inside and he got himself kind of hung out to dry and yeah. then boxed in and i think the real damage was done in turn two with uh norris launching it around the outside i mean i think lewis could have been a little bit ruder and run norris out of road but that's not really his style but i don't think he could have really backed off too much and cut back in because okay. i'm pretty sure he he was convinced there was going to be a mclaren on his inside already so and with the mirrors they've got no peripheral vision. It's really hard to see what's going on there. So I think he just played it safe, very safe, which we've kind of been used to Lewis doing in recent times. Yeah, He's been more on a so, cautious side.
2: I'm going to argue slightly because I, I feel like with the squeeze with, with Verstappen, what he left himself with was he was never going to get a good angle for a, a, a sharp exit out of turn one towards turn two. Verstappen was never going to do anything else but run him all the way to the edge which is exactly what Hamilton would have done in that situation as well. And it basically let Norris and Piastri pick their line. So uh, Piastri just hugged the inside and, and rolled up on the inside. And Lando Norris was able to get a run by, by taking a proper sort of wide entry. So, so I, I, I don't know, Brad. I can't help but just, you know, just wish. Why w- was this like a 2021 flashback where he went, it's Verstappen. I'm fighting Verstappen. And it's like everyone else, the whole world was going, no, you're not. You're fighting the McLarens. I think... I think he had
3: mentally before the start assumed he was going to be the one getting to turn one ahead. And it was almost like, I know this is, this sounds silly because it's a very obvious thing that could happen, but it was almost like he hadn't banked on. Maybe Max would make it there first. It was like, he'd hung everything on getting a really clean start, getting into turn one first and then see what happens. And if I was the driver behind or, or either of the two McLarens behind, you're watching that going on in front of you, seeing the pole sitter squeeze the person that started P2 right up to the inside thinking, brilliant. And as you said, Spanners, I can pick my line now. Yeah. I can yeah. I can see exactly where they're going to go, and I can now go a little bit wider, cut back, get a great run around his outside at the next corner.
1: Yeah, well, to me, it was Piastri that very much did the damage there by taking that line, that that inner line and having no obstruction at all he not only got off hamilton from being able to come back on the line but because of the order they went into the corner opened the door for norris to get round hamilton
4: yeah and as we sort of said the damage was done pretty much straight off the line hamilton got himself into this position that he couldn't really get out of and then he boxed himself in if he could have swung out wide what he could have done he could have just full wanged it and just driven off track around the outside (laughs) and then argued it later which we've seen people hang on which which
2: verstappen did in 2021 after his damage you know he was he was continually going wide at turn one to overtake people
4: yeah yeah so he he could have done that but i think the damage was done immediately and just just going back to what brad said about lewis in his head thought he was going to be p1 in there remember this is probably arguably one of the dirtiest sides of the grid for p2 of the whole season so and, you know, Red Bull haven't been great at starts this year. So he actually, yeah, probably convinced himself entirely that he goes, there's no way Verstappen can get the jump on me, at least going into turn one. But we know it's Verstappen. And I think we've been chatting in the group chat, some of us that are thinking mm-hmm. if Hamilton is in the lead into turn one, if he doesn't defend hard, there was going to be, well, a kind of a, Yeah, a harpooning like Verstappen (laughs) was going to send it on him come what may, I think, going into turn one. So, yeah, maybe Lewis was sort of double thinking himself a bit too much. But, yeah, it wasn't the best car placement, but I don't think he could have done an awful lot about it. Once he was already overlapped, he was kind of pinned on the outside and couldn't really do too much. I think whatever the reason, coming out
3: of turn three from pole position in fourth place was Mm -hmm. that set Hamilton up for a difficult afternoon Yeah, because looking at the gaps towards the end of the race and not wanting to skip to the end but ultimately Hamilton didn't really finish that far behind Norris looking at the results I've got here he was sitting maybe seven seconds total behind Norris by the end of the race if you think about how much time he lost in the you know just in the early stages like naturally you do even if you've got a fast car the field spreads out and then he's got to work through the rest of the race it was it was already, it was already going to
2: be a fight back yeah. on a track where it's very, hard to, very overtake. hard to overtake. I mean, it is a Hamilton track; he does go well here, but he he did hold his hand up straight away to his team and just say, "Sorry, guys, that that's my bad." And I think you know that's obviously because he obviously understands racing, and I think that backs up what we were saying. I think he probably realised in that moment, yeah, I've made a wrong choice. I've sacrificed too much of my entry and and not enough of Verstappen's entry. You know, Verstappen's got performance to spare in that car. He's he was very aggressive there. I, I I don't even think like it's not really a deliberate overtaking move. Verstappen had no choice but to fight the inside once he got there. The, lifting would have put yourself in a, a Norris Norris Bottas situation. So yeah, yeah, anyway, a very interesting kind of turn one maneuver. Hamilton knows that wasn't optimal. And ultimately, I do wonder, Matt, if we had a different race. If he if he let let lets Max go in, into that corner once he's got the overlap, he's now ahead of the McLaren's. It's hard to overtake. Um, maybe the result is different because behind the McLarens, I think he said he said I don't have any. I don't have enough performance to overtake, which suggested to me not struggling to keep up, but no delta, especially on the straights, to pass.
1: Yeah, I think that's an entirely fair assessment of the race from Mercedes point of view. We wanted to be first. We wanted to defend. And if that had been the case, we would have seen a much longer stint on those mediums likely, which would have also helped him out in terms of his overall finishing position. But what I do want to add is the real unsung tragedy here was the fact that Norris, out of all the top four was on a fresh set of mediums. And if I saw a scenario where Max didn't have an easy walk, it was Norris getting ahead on his fresh tires and making Max really have to work to get round him. And because of the way the opening started with Hamilton, and because also Piastri, darn him, is such a good driver... We wound up getting the most boring possible start to the race we could have asked for.
2: Yeah, but can you just imagine what was going on in, in Piastri's little helmet when he saw all that open up in front of him? Like, oh yeah, you're you're a you're a car. Uh, you, you know that that feeling when the pack just opens up ahead of you and you almost can't believe
4: you've got that clean air to drive into. Yeah, kaching was probably going yeah. through his head. It was just like result, but also, oh my god, I'm now P two in my debut season probably yeah the nerves probably <laughs> went through the roof a bit a bit but i think say hamilton got ahead of well state well maintained p1 yeah, yeah, yeah. i don't think it would have made that much difference because mercedes already by lap three i think was saying your brakes are overheating and they had cooling problems and hamilton actually come onto the radio in the first stint why are we so slow what's going on and they're having to, to, to turn the engine down essentially because they are overheating so i think he would have been mm. It would have been a train behind Hamilton at the start, and I'm pretty sure the others would have would have got him because Norris was hanging on. Norris and piastri were hanging on okay, okay to Verstappen. Verstappen would have almost certainly passed Hamilton within the first few laps, particularly when DRS went. Oh, I'm Hamilton sure. would have yeah. lost time, and then I'm pretty sure the McLarens would have jumped on him. Then, so okay. I don't think well, overall think, it made that much difference. I agree
2: with you on everything until the McLarens would have definitely. Jumped him. I think that's, that's something, you know, it would have been nice to see play out. Uh, but Brad, I know we're kind of focusing on, on what Mercedes did wrong before we get to what McLaren did right. But I think there's, there's more than just Lewis Hamilton's mistakes with, with Mercedes. And the cooling issue was, was one that Carl has brought up. It's something that Mercedes suffer with a lot. So they've suffered with the cooling issue. They're having to do something to compensate for that. And then, and then we've got the issue of the pit stops again.
3: Yeah, I think I disagree with Kyle slightly in that it, it wouldn't have been any different because I think if Hamilton had just been behind Verstappen, uh, you know, just just come second at the beginning of the phase of the race, held off the McLarens into the first few corners, I think then you've got a situation where Verstappen drives off, so there's no cooling problem. So Hamilton isn't stuck behind Verstappen because Verstappen's oh, cleared point. off. Yeah, yeah. And as it happened, he was having to almost, you know, drop back deliberately from the McLarens to help this cooling issue the the pit stops i tweeted about this because it's very frustrating every time you see mercedes in the pits you you basically assume it's going to be a pretty bad stop and a stop which would be bad for other front running teams is a good stop for mercedes you know yeah. under 3 seconds is a good stop yeah, so for mercedes if, yeah. if mercedes and
2: come up 2.9 we're like okay whew.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you did, think, well, yeah. at, least, at least they haven't lost loads. And when you look at the end, Hamilton's like 1.6 behind Perez at the line. I know it's not as simple as this because other yeah, factors yeah, yeah, come course. in during the race, but if you look purely at the gaps, the amount that Hamilton lost just in the pit stops to Perez would have put him ahead of Perez by the end of the race. O- over three stops, and We're at the yeah. stage where Mercedes can't, Mercedes don't have a car that's dominant and they can afford to just relax in the pit stops. I, I kind of understood when they had a really good car, their their pit crew just taking it, Calmly, easily, making sure there wasn't a mistake, although we did also see mistakes even back then in the pits. But now there's no excuse because you've got teams that are much lower ranked teams regularly producing low two second pit stops. Red Bull with a 1.9 today. What is the excuse at this point? Like they've had they've had a lot of time to refine Mm. the pit stop procedures and and other teams managed to regularly produce much faster pit stops.
2: So it's not like they're having bad stops. That is like their stock stop is around three seconds. And then you add that that up over the course of uh, three stops, Matt. And that is, you know, we're talking, we're, we're, well, we're finding a lot of reasons why they didn't get a podium today. And that's, that's one. That's, there's, a, there's three legs to the not getting a podium today, isn't there? It's the, the pit stops, the turn one, and this this cooling issue.
1: Well, in the whole second stint on the hard tire, but we'll get to that later. No, I I find myself both agreeing with Brad. And if I'm thinking in Mercedes terms, what I'm going to say to you is I've looked at a whole season's worth of pit stops. And if we get 1.9 second pit stops, we'll eventually mess one up to the point where the average will still be worse than what we're doing with what we currently do. I know they would make that argument. I think they would be wrong, but I know they would make that argument.
4: Uh, Kyle. But how how often do we see Red Bull mess pit stops up? They don't. They're like, yeah, as Brad said, 1.9 second pit stop. And remember when we've gone to these larger wheels and heavier wheels, they were like, that's the end of sub two second pit stops because <laughs> it's going to be almost impossible because no. the wheels are just heavier and bigger and bulkier and they've managed to nail one. So that's unbelievably impressive. But traditionally, Red Bull have always been amazing at pit stops. So yeah, I don't know what's going on at mercedes they they all practice pit stops, but maybe it is time for a bit of a procedural review.
2: Mm. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, you know, the, the margins for a for for a podium over over Bottas were uh, over Bottas over Perez were were quite small. Brad, last one on the pit stops.
3: Well, it's not. It wasn't pit stops. It was another thing Mercedes got wrong. It was just throwing uh, something out whilst we're burning Mercedes on oh, that's, some. Yeah, b- no, fan let's do this because I've got a couple more actually as well. Um. The strategy in qualifying, the the unnecessarily risky strategy in qualifying, which again is a thing. It's not just like a one-off and you go, okay, they just got it wrong this time. They do this regularly. They they take a risk to get the ideal conditions or the final run in a qualifying session. But when they've got a car, which they don't need to do that with. And you have a whole host of potential problems that throws up like it did this yeah. time. Hamilton was nearly out in Q1 because of it.
2: Oh, my goodness. But yeah, what I'd not really considered was uh, because of Russell being out, they they didn't have the opportunity to to have two cars up there fighting the McLarens where they could have really played with overcut, going long, split strategies. And And if you didn't quite catch qualifying, you know, the risk was in Q1, where they should comfortably get through, they were restricted to the hard tyre, but both drivers waited until the end of the session where they came out on on fresh tyres. So they could have been out there circulating, just kind of putting in bankers, but instead they came in late-ish, put uh, put the new hard tyres on, and then went out with just enough time to do one lap, and they had no other lap. Both drivers were outside the top 15, and basically if anything goes wrong, if there's traffic, if there's a yellow flag, that was them done. And I think, like... Mercedes well-wishers all around the world, when, when it was clear what they were doing, went, oh my goodness, this is going to be a disaster. And the fact is, the Mercedes needs a little bit of time to get heat into these tyres. And Lewis Hamilton kind of nailed his lap, but the fact is they had to wait in Q3, in sector 3, Q, to, to leave a gap to set the time. And then by the time they even started their hot lap, their tyre prep was just wrecked. So Hamilton's quick lap in ideal con- conditions was P8. And I'm struggling to believe that they couldn't have got both drivers P9 P10 just by being a bit safer. But look, but Kyle, it's it's a it's another example of Mercedes strategy. I know I know Ferrari take you know most of the the flack for it. Um, but we can point to quite a lot of areas where Mercedes will be feeling like they could have done done better.
4: Yeah, I mean Mercedes isn't quite the new Ferrari, but they're kind of trying no, their best. Sorry if I implied but- that. but um yeah that qualifying thing was ridiculous i think it was like two minutes 40 seconds left when they sent them out of the pit lane and i was screaming at the tv just like what are you doing what one why are you putting all the pressure on your drivers for that because there's been a lot of track limits things as well so now they're under pressure they have to nail a lap they have to they cannot make a single mistake at all and yeah all of the queuing at the end of the lap now these tires are crucial and tire prep is absolutely crucial to prep them so george russell is coming up and the gentleman's agreement went flying out of the window yeah, yeah, and yeah, people are jumping done. him i think it was science got ahead of him then norris flew out ahead of him because norris had just had a uh, a lap deleted because of track limits and it turned into an absolute cluster fluff into the last corner and all of them were tripping over each other and it was just completely and utterly unnecessary and you saw in um I think he saw in like Q2, Red Bull got it right. They sent Verstappen out after he had his lap time deleted with like a good five minutes to spare just to go in there and get the lap in. Now you know when you've got a quick car that the track evolution is not going to screw you over that that hard. Mercedes, I don't know why they chose to do that. It was it wasn't arrogant. I think it was overconfidence if there is a difference. But I I I wonder wonder if it was was actually the
2: other way, where they were were too worried about making out of Q1 and they thought they had to do this Hail Mary at the end. Um, I do Mm. want to move on from Mercedes, guys. So one more point from uh, Matt and then Brad.
1: Okay, two things. I know you said one more point. Point one, Mercedes, (laughs) terrible on the hard tire, and they know it. Point two, uh, looking at qualifying specifically, you could take Alpine, for example, who sent their drivers out when no one was on track brought them back in, refueled, sent them back out to make another lap if they needed to, saw they didn't, and in they came. Mercedes ran a very risky strategy. It resulted in Russell getting jumped by three drivers, ruining his tire crap <laughs> hang on, on a tire on, they could on. barely get hot enough to begin with anyway.
2: To be fair, three, and then also Hamilton earlier on in that that lap, I think. Uh, over oh, Hamilton. did Hamilton? Yeah, I think he did early in the lap. They came out, Russell, Hamilton, Kyle, oh. Right, I'm going to go and rewatch all of qualifying. Uh, Brad,
3: my my only point was Mercedes. For everything we've just said, I still think are the second team. But, you know, they're still. I know McLaren finished in front of them, and if we take Verstappen out of the equation, okay, take Red Bull because I know Perez was up there too. Take Red Bull out of the equation. This was a thrown away win for them this weekend. You know, if we yeah. if it's, we're looking at the closer teams, right. the the fight between McLaren Aston. Mercedes Ferrari say if that was the season they would have effectively thrown away a top result from some errors yeah. having said that the package again with the caveat that Red Bull are miles up the road the package is is the next best mm. um and I think it was it was errors but over the rest of the season Mercedes are still the the team I would back to to do the best
2: yes no I think I agree with you so looking at this race in isolation though They threw away the chance to have both drivers up there fighting. So when Lewis Hamilton attempted a very, very optimistic undercut, I thought, because there was a three-second gap. So I don't know why they thought there was a three-second undercut on, and I don't think he was struggling with the tyres. So that seemed odd to me as well. And then he ended up being like nine seconds behind. Oddly, It was really odd, Brad. Like, How the hell did they end up
3: nine seconds behind? That never got answered, and Hamilton also he asked saying, the question. Yeah. You, you should, you got a massive undercut effect, and yet he was over double the gap back from Norris, uh, and the pit stop was slower, but it wasn't like four seconds slower. So maybe he had a terrible in slash out lap or something, but or, he seemed amused himself.
4: Yeah, Kyle. Uh, sorry, I think I'm just about to steal Matt's point. <laughs> no, do it steal, <laughs> but, um, it. steal it. It was the, it was the uh, the hard tire warm up and Toto alluded to this after the race and said we were too gentle bringing the tires in now with these tires and the nature of them if you go out and just spank it immediately out of the pits you will take a disproportionate amount of life out of the tires so you've got to gently bring them in and he kind of inferred that they were way too gentle in bringing them in and Hamilton was just too easy so I think that may have been slightly conscious to go that slow but it was way 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 too slow it was it was odd but right. then why the undercut? If you know if you know by undercutting, <laughs> yes. you're going to have point. to go four yeah. seconds
2: off the pace or whatever it was, you know, like way slower. <laughs> why then the undercut isn't on the table, is it? I don't think it ever no. was on the table anyway, Matt.
1: Well, the undercut, it was a thing. I think it was a reasonable and aggressive choice for Mercedes to make at that point. But the hard tire was a terrible tire for them. And what they didn't do is recognize that and get him off of it quickly instead they hung him out hoping maybe that a safety car would arrive and save the day for them and it just it wrecked his race if he'd come in at a normal time to get onto that medium tire i really honestly believe he Mm. would have at least had perez at the end of the race
2: yeah and look, it's just you know imagine like what mclaren would have had to have done with two mercedes up there so they they Let's go to McLaren, because enough of what Mercedes did wrong. Let's okay. go to what McLaren did right, and I believe in, in the third best car. Firstly, they had two drivers who were on a high from Silverstone, uh, two drivers who were absolutely going for it. And I don't really feel put a, a wheel wrong, but in that, in that, in that moment where Hamilton you know, attempted the doomed undercut, initially it looked a little bit odd, because they gave the second driver priority, and people were saying, oh my goodness, you know, well, they've, they've cost Piastri. A place there is this just a case Matt of oh well, let's go to, to Kyle then is this just a case that like the McLaren kind of know their drivers and they know kind of let's get they'll say they were protecting against the undercut but I don't think it's unreasonable to say this feels like Norris's race this feels like he's controlling the pace more let's just let's protect him from Hamilton yes but also let's get the position swapped Piastri's a rookie get over it if you want if we if there's an opportunity to swap later maybe I don't think it's unreasonable if you have an instinct that one driver is going to have a better
4: race than the other. No, it's not unreasonable. And McLaren do have form for this previously. Think back to the 2007 Monaco Grand Prix when Hamilton was furious as a rookie that they decided to pit him early when he had extra fuel on board against Alonso. So they do tend to favor the senior driver over the rookie driver initially. But what made it particularly strange, and I think a few of us messaged this, like we're just like, they've completely screwed Oscar over here. Um, they would have been able to see Hamilton's Sexta times, his abysmal Sexta times oh. coming out of the pits, which meant they probably had time. to uh, <laughs> right, Actually, we, we don't this. need to instantly react. We can now bring, we can bring, um, yeah, we can bring Norris in. No, Piastri in first and keep the same order, because Hamilton was, was far from setting the timing sheets. They brought Norris the in first. You were right the first time. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. 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 But they, but they... Yeah, so it was a bit of a strange decision. Zach Brown did actually say that he goes, "We thought, we thought that's how the race would play out." So clearly, they had more confidence in Norris's pace than yeah. Piastri's. But if I was Oscar, I would have been a little bit peeved. But to be fair to him, after the race, he didn't really question it that much. He was like, "It wasn't great, but yeah. it's it is what it is." And then Norris really showed me how to drive. Basically, is what he yeah, said. Yeah, no, and the he rest did. The, I and I think thought, it's a fair play, man. That's
2: such an honest
4: comment from a rookie,
2: just going like, "Yeah, my more experienced teammate." He done brilliant there, and and this is yeah. why I think Matt. If we may do some uh, some tire chat here, uh, Piastri doesn't have the same experience of managing high wear Pirelli races. So in his whole his entire F one career, they've had Pirelli being kind of over cautious on the compounds.
1: Uh, yeah, well, the thing that sticks out to me, number one, is that at Silverstone the positions were reversed and the decision was reversed. They pitted Piastri first which was an undercut on Norris but the safety car actually came in and sort of made that irrelevant for McLaren to have to deal with. Here you have you have Hamilton was it Hamilton right behind Norris pitting an obvious undercut attempt. They brought Norris in and what Norris did that was absolutely brilliant was he drove his way ahead of Piastri on those new tires. And then he proceeded to just teach as you say Piastri a small lesson on how to get the absolute most out of the Pirelli rubber, which Piastri is good at, but still obviously has some learning to do mm. brad how how good was
2: Norris's performance today? because like he separated himself from his teammate, he held his his nerve, so he had a few things to do. He had to manage a, a quite complicated tire strategy, he had to beat his teammate, and also he had to hold off Perez in his uh, in his relative box.
3: I think Norris drove exactly as we've grown to expect him to drive nowadays. I think he's just super fast, really strong in all areas, totally rounded, ready for a car that can win, and he'll just rack up the wins. Really? Same, same as Verstappen, really. I, I put Norris basically in the same bracket as Max. Um, I think Piastri has been surprisingly close. and Obviously, the gap at the end of the race wasn't really reflective of, of his relative pace. Um, the damage, I think, I, I don't, again, not quite sure where he got that quite exactly what it was but I think until that point Piastri was was looking reasonably strong so um I think they're both impressive and yeah. I think they'll be effectively identical by next year but Norris is is just
2: got the exactly experience. as I expect him to be so Brad I don't know how much you have exp- experience you have in driving in series with um high tyre wear so you have like multiple tyre changes but one thing that struck me was it looked like Perez was absolutely chewing Norris up got within three seconds and then Norris kind of came to life
3: I was watching this and thinking as long as he can as long as he can make Perez work hard, work the tyres very hard mm. in the catching phase then it might not be too bad once he gets there we know what the Hungaroring's ring's like and certainly in the whole middle sector of the lap if you're following someone and your tires already near the limit it's hard to keep them alive and hard for them to be fresh enough to then have the pace um the pace different to, to make a pass. Obviously Perez is in what is now in one statistic, the most dominant car of all time. So Perez should have made easy meat of Norris regardless, but the Perez question is is a, a separate topic. Um, but I think Norris was was managing it, although he said he was driving as fast as he could. That is one way to manage it. Um, yeah. I think he was, he was doing everything he needed and then still had enough left in reserve to push on once Perez
4: arrived effectively. Yeah. Kyle? Yeah. So on Norris. Norris said after the race and i'm really surprised nobody used the g word this weekend which is graining uh i don't think they had that that much graining but a few of the drivers said that the tires kind of went away from them and then they came back to them at the end so particularly with norris so yeah norris was sort of struggling and sounding a little bit angry with his uh engineer telling him that perry's was closing he's like yeah mate i'm pushing as hard as i can but yeah he did he he did say that the tires came back to him at the end and then he was a little bit stronger but on the subject of uh norris you know, sort of ability to deliver race wins if he gets a car. It's a good point that Brad makes. If you listen to Norris's interview after the race, he's starting to drop a few comments though. I think Norris thinks in his head that he's the same level as Max. He really, truly believes it because he's starting to get, show some frustration. Now he's getting close. He's like, yeah, yeah. I just need a better car. And because Max is one of his best mates, it's all, all, awkward seeing when your best mates do well. And I truly believe that he thinks if he can get in that Red Bull, that he can stick it to Max. So let's hope that McLaren can close them down eventually because I think, you know, in the future for Formula One is looking pretty bright and, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we see these two knocking several shades of something out of each other over the next few seasons, because it's going to be a fierce, fierce competition. I think Norris truly believes that he is on Max's level.
2: And uh, at the moment it would be hard to argue that. And I would say that he's in a, a privileged position in that he has a rookie who's talented who's very clearly kind of almost accepting a number 2 position like it's a learning year he's got support from McLaren and he's looking at his teammate kind of with awe and go that's cool i wish i can do that someday it's almost the perfect position for Norris to be in right now if McLaren can kick on and i was wrong in what i was thinking about with with McLaren i i thought the silverstone performance on race pace was purely going to be down to the fact that the tires were lasting forever and i thought they'd they'd struggle if there was some tire management required, uh, the the one lap pace had been there even before the upgrade. But this is is significant. It's it's real, and I don't think they're as fast as the Mercedes. I think they did everything just about perfectly. So so can it be maintained, Matt? If we're talking about McLaren's targets, if you said to them, okay, you're going to be the third fastest car and finish third in the constructors, they would have bitten your hand off for that in the first three races. But now they've got a, a bigger target. Potentially, they're talking about P2. Well,
1: I actually um, think they're the second fastest car now. Ah, you're wrong. Genuinely on merit. Nah. Where they are weak <laughs> is in the low speed turns and in the low speed stuff. And they don't have the same absolute maximum speed as a Mercedes. Yeah, so, they're, they're, medium so they're not as and fast as <laughs> Their medium and high speed is just killing right now. And here's what you need to know. Remember, uh, McLaren showed up to testing and said, look, you know, we had this revelation. We realized that the car we were building was just not going to work. But we also realized we couldn't build the car we wanted in time for the beginning of the season. So the car that we've just seen now with all their new developments is the car they wanted to show up to the season with. But about a third of the parts they intended to bring actually haven't shown up yet so we're not even seeing like McLaren in full flight yet we don't know where they're going to wind up when they finally get the last of this development onto their car but they have clearly solved an issue that and as far as I can tell only Red Bull has solved which is the ability to run a super low ride height and still have a fairly compliant chassis And for the next phase of development restrictions,
3: um, and I can't remember what the official term for for that cutoff point is, but McLaren were sixth in the Constructors' Championship, I believe, with by far the biggest potential, biggest allowance to bring upgrades Uh. in the next phase. So if they've got the actual budget, which I don't doubt they have, they're going to be allowed to spend more than all these other teams that they're now fighting at the front of the grid in the next phase of the
2: season. So that also
3: bodes well for them staying up there.
2: Okay, Red Bull. We keep a watchful eye on McLaren, a suspicious side-eye on their performance and um, a real thorn in Mercedes' side. A bit of a, perhaps a disappointment to Mercedes who, you know, had McLaren not unlocked this, would be probably looking comfortably like the second team and they would be being left alone to uh, to potentially close down the gap on Red Bull. That's what would they'd be talking about. But now... They are under significant pressure under McLaren and McLaren uh, are not giving them any room to hide. So from a McLaren uh, Mercedes perspective, you know now McLaren are operationally sound. They're tactically sound. Their drivers are absolutely on it. They've got one driver in their peak and one driver with all the potential in the world. So I I would say, you know, the biggest challenge on the grid at the moment is, is Mercedes staying ahead of McLaren. So let's go to Red Bull, who have been absolutely dominant. Now, one of the main criticisms we get on this show is that we don't praise Max Verstappen enough. And he won by 30 seconds, the biggest margin uh, for a long, long time. So on the face of it, you go, that's incredible. His teammate finished third and only qualified eighth. Is it, is it man? Is it machine? My, my general argument is, is exactly the same as when Lewis Hamilton was was dominant in the Mercedes and he had—he was not being challenged by Bottas, which was, we don't really know how well he's doing. So he could have driven that car to the absolute limit today. He could have driven it, uh, you know, he could have won by 40 seconds. He could have been a third of a lap slower every lap and still won the race. It's a difficult position, uh, Brad, especially for people like you and I, who perhaps some people think, can you believe we get accused of uh, bias sometimes? It's
3: unreal. Um, so first off, um, Perez actually qualified ninth, not oh, eighth. Oh, did he? So oh, just slightly me. worse. All than right, you thought, mate. So. Okay. Um, I'm just keeping a close eye on that because, and the reason is Perez is the only other person in the Red Bull, and so we have a fair understanding hmm. of Perez's level. And when Max is off streets ahead of everyone else down the road, the person that we're comparing him to directly oh, yeah, is Perez. Obviously, Perez had to come through the field today so it's not but, okay. you can't look at the the ultimate gap and say yeah. that's the gap
2: no but it, um, it's not unheard of well, to have a a number one driver have that kind of gap to their teammate in a dominant car so you know you've got yeah. Weber Barrichello <laughs> uh, uh Eddie Irvine uh you've got a uh, Bottas uh, you know so it isn't like unheard of for a car to be designed around a driver so you know if there was a it's a discussion for a different time but if you had a a Perez designed Red Bull Yes, it might be ultimately not as fast, but the gap wouldn't perhaps be as quite as stark. I think it's clear this is a car that's designed for Verstappen, and rightly so. I would always have a number one driver, and I would always provide that number one driver with the car that that's exactly suits them. Uh, but week week to week, Brad, race in, race out, we don't really have a way to tell how good Verstappen drove today.
3: So you really just have to judge him on whether we see any mistakes made, and and generally yep. he's he's pretty clean, isn't he? Not, not a lot goes wrong, but that also makes it harder to judge because just like all the other drivers you mentioned that were dominating in their periods, they're not under pressure. And therefore you might have multiple drivers throughout the field in a particular race who are actually, you know, putting in stronger performances. if, If you had some objective way of actually measuring that, but it's just the person out front is having a nice easy day. You know, he's, He's having to be checked on by his engineer, saying, "Is everything still right out there, Max?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah cool. literally." And, and he even said afterwards, "You know, the car was great. It was a rocket ship today." And we know when a car is a car is really good and doing everything you want it to do, you have an easier day. And so, yeah, Max is clearly doing a great job because you're not consistently that far ahead of of a teammate, and you know, pulling all these multiple wins. If, if you're, you're not it, yeah. even in a really good car, if you're not doing a pretty decent job those results don't come if you know if Perez was the lead driver in Red Bull this year it, it would look like one of the closest seasons ever we just wouldn't realize yeah. he was driving a car which was <laughs> capable of you know four or five tenths faster lap times each lap we just assume that's what the car could do so I think Verstappen is doing a great job is is, is the short version but as you don't know as all similar periods <laughs> from other drivers who have been out front in a really fast car it's just hard to tell and that's probably one of the reasons we don't focus on it because it's yeah. almost a foregone conclusion.
2: Yeah, exactly. Kyle, just like when, when Brad beat you at the recent Miss Apex karting uh, uh, at Brighton, he just happened to have the fastest kart. That was the only reason he won and we don't even know how well he did against you.
4: My belly probably uh, accounted for <laughs> some of that as well. I, have I feel to say. you, brother. I feel you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude, I'm carrying a bit of timber. So um, uh, yeah, on the Verstappen thing, look, I think Verstappen is probably one of the first thoroughbred Formula One drivers we have seen. His father was an F1 driver. His mother was a racing driver. He is literally born and bred to be a Formula One champion. Now, he's sort of matured, and after his first couple of years, I truly believe if that car was not as good and it was more difficult to drive, he would still be doing the same thing. So I think the fact that he's out front and he's put himself into position where it almost he looks infallible, it almost looks like a, almost a dead certainty that he's going to win, the race and he can do it so calmly just speaks mm. volumes i think it is you know with everything with the schumacher domination with the hamilton domination it's a combination of the team and everything gelling perfectly but only the real greats get into that position where they can win so calmly for instance you wouldn't see a Fissi keller do something like that you know you wouldn't see a bottas go and do something <laughs> How like dare that you. they're extremely very good drivers uh, apologies. But they are not absolutely like incredible. And I do truly believe that Verstappen is doing an incredible job and he is making it look easy. So mm. to f- dominate Formula One and make it look easy is not easy in itself.
2: Okay, apologies to all the Giancarlo Fisichella fans. That is obviously <laughs> not true. Uh, so what you're saying is he's the Ivan Drago of of, uh, of Formula One. He's like a machine, he's made of iron. Uh Matt no, Matt Trumpets. Go on, finish off some Verstappen stuff, then we'll we'll talk about Mr. Perez. Wow.
1: Well, you know, if we're going to talk about Verstappen, we need to talk about Red Bull. And we need to specifically talk about...
2: why he fluff qualifying, Matt?
1: The fact <laughs> that he did not have the greatest qualifying. In fact, if you go back and look at Verstappen's radio messages, what you generally see is a very unhappy driver. The balance is terrible. The fronts are like ice. And for all that, he just barely lost out to Hamilton. Show up to race day when the temperatures were like almost 50 C on the track Mm. and suddenly on full fuel on medium tires, he's like, oh, this is the best car I've ever driven. I can't thank the team enough. Let's contrast that with Hamilton at the end of qualifying. He's like, I can't thank the team enough. The car was perfectly balanced in the corners when there was absolutely no fuel in it. And I was on the soft tires show up today, much hotter, much more fuel and and he, after the race, he's like, the car was terrible, terrible to drive until it was almost empty. And the picture I come away with is Red Bull figured out, based on the new rules and the new tires, exactly what they needed to prioritize to absolutely crush their opponents today. And everybody else, to a greater or lesser degree, didn't quite get it right.
2: Oh, I've just thought of another reason to delay talking about Perez. Brilliant. Thank you for that, Matt. The qualifying format, which I thought was absolute trash. I just thought, oh, my God, what a stupid gimmick, because it was billed as, oh, we'll we'll save on shipping a few tyres around the world. Well, I've got a better idea. If you want to save, save shipping, uh, you know the PR people that stop the drivers saying stupid things? Just leave them at home. Then you don't have to ship 20 people around the world. They get to brief them once before they leave the factory, and then the drivers are just free to be kind of cancel scatterguns, like cancelled, I'm cancelled, Sonoda's cancelled, Verstappen's cancelled, Hamilton cancels himself, and the PR people are at home tearing their hair out. But, you know, the carbon footprint of flying people, that's significant. I'm, I can think of loads of people we we don't need to take. We can half the Red Bull caterers, surely. So I was a little bit anti the fact that, okay, we're doing this, we're making this sporting change to save freight, and it felt like um, an optics thing. Matt taught me that word. So it felt like, look, here's a show that we're doing something, like the tyre blankets as well, when it's like, yeah, really? Yeah, that's great. You don't need to be in a luxury motorhome. You can all just bring some three-by-three three gazebos and a and a pop-up barbecue. So I, I was against it for that reason. But Kyle, my goodness, I loved seeing the challenge throughout qualifying of all of the top three teams having to use all three tires
4: i actually thought was great yeah i really like that aspect of it and i like the fact that they changed the allocations a bit more because if you remember to the before times before the event in the long long COVID, ago COVID. Oh, no yeah. before covid before, before the event COVID? Mm. yes before covid <laughs> the teams used to be able to choose what Allocation they brought for themselves, and of of course, already stopped that before COVID. And we've had this allocation enforced upon us. So this evening out, so they've given them one more hard, one more mediums, and halved their allocation of softs. That's great. But I think all so that's great, and enforcing them to use the compounds in qualifying, yes, big thumbs up. I think that actually really really worked. But reducing the sets, like you, I think it's a bit of a virtue grab and a little bit misplaced. Like if. If you're trying to cut down costs, why are we having night races? Why are we going yeah. to these events, <laughs> sham events that we don't really want oh to go to in races? It's like the, the they could cut down, but the lighting found, alone, the lighting yeah, alone for yeah. a street race. So what what I found most frustrating was, and it's something that I've been banging on about on this podcast for the last few years, is Pirelli not bringing soft enough compounds, being too risk averse. And finally, this weekend they bought the soft compounds. And then they've reduced the sets at the same time as the ATA. (laughs) So I really like the ATA, but they reduced the sets, which is also going to dissuade teams from one running loads in FP1. And I actually think that this whole ATA thing was saved by the rain in FP1. Oh, saved them. So we didn't see loads of cars sitting in the pit lane. But also it's going to discourage people from going for a three-stop if you don't have the mega tires to make it work. So I love the fact that a more even allocation. and I love the fact that they had to use the hards, the mediums, and the softs in their relative sessions in qualifying, but I didn't like the fact that they've reduced the sets because I do think that they are actually hurting the strategy with doing that. So some tweaks, give them the 13 sets, but bring the soft the compounds
1: and but give them those two extra sets that they need. Great. Right. So, let's be clear. Okay. Doing something is always better than doing nothing.
2: You don't know this that. This
1: was an experiment, and from a sporting point of view, requiring the hard, the medium, and the soft, we can all agree, worked
2: it much did, did better work than well. any of
1: us thought it would ahead of time.
2: how well it worked, yeah.
1: Yeah. It was genius. It's a much bigger challenge for the teams, a much bigger challenge for the drivers. Kyle, you have an absolute point. It's going to be a problem for the running having two fewer sets through the free practices could easily be solved by not requiring the teams to give back any tires until after the end of free practice three, I think. But I also want to bring up that Lewis made a very good point, which is that Pirelli is required to bring fresh wets and enters to every race that (laughs) almost never get used. And I think, again, this is what I like to call some low hanging fruit perhaps easy to look at in terms of making the sport slightly more environmentally conscious. You can call it greenwashing, but you have to admit that the thousand or so tires they're going to save per season, especially considering how dirty tires are to manufacture, is also not exactly, you know, pancakes
2: Sorry, Sorry, did you say I can call it greenwashing? You can call it
1: greenwashing, but it's still significant within the context of the sport. I I, I,
2: I can call it greenwashing. Yeah, of course. Okay, yeah, it's greenwashing, uh, Brad.
3: So I work for a tire company, and <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> something that I did at work last week was sit through a large presentation about sustainability going forward for tire that production. Was
2: fun. And um, <laughs> your look says it all.
3: But yeah, okay, there were there were more interesting parts to my week. But what that what was interesting about that was all the major tire companies are committed to. Um, certainly for road tyres, including a very high proportion of sustainable materials or recycled materials or recyclable materials. Um, And I think that uh, the format, I really enjoyed the qualifying format. I loved seeing everyone forced to be on the same type of tyre in each session. I liked seeing that direct comparison and not having slower teams be able to kind of artificially bump up to the next session by being on one step softer tyres. I preferred that obviously the problem with the the tire allocation and not running enough laps on the practice sessions for fans at the track, that is an issue. And and so my suggestion yes. would be, I mean, it's too late now because I've already done this, but would be to, for optics, not to focus <laughs> on um, the number of sets being taken to each race because I don't know about you guys. Well, I know Matt would have known, but I didn't know how many they took. I would have found it probably more of a, more of a, an, uh, maybe a better sustainability message for Pirelli to talk about what they're doing in terms of the materials going forward and how committed they are to, to using more sustainable materials. And maybe they could look at the number of wet tires they take as well um, to each round.
4: That's, yeah so the materials and recycling is a good is a good point hamilton raised this as well and you've already said it is taking the wet tires to several rounds i mean are they producing a whole new set of wet tires every time so they have produced a range are they destroying these wet tires when they don't get used and then remanufacturing them again if they are why why aren't they (laughs) zipped up in a bag keep them away from uv and in a dark room (laughs) and hermetically sealed and use the same set brad do you have a quick answer for that
3: yeah, Pirelli actually pushed back on that. So they said that Hamilton's claims on that issue were not correct and that they don't throw them away. Um, okay, I didn't read in detail. Um, mm-hmm. It was something I saw in a, 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 um, a news headline, so I didn't go into the details. So Matt might know more, but I think that wasn't quite correct. Okay,
2: I think, though, I do want to move on. We have spent quite a lot of time in that qualifying format, Matt. About
1: the race 2 okay. and about the softer compounds, I just want to point out oh, okay. that all of the top six teams... Ran one hard, and two mediums, and we brought the softest compounds. Yes, we did. So I'm just telling mm. Pirelli now, it's going to work. Bring the softer <laughs> compounds; <in>. it's <laughs> going to work. We've, yeah, Carl's
2: nodding to that. I think we're all saying that Pirelli. Yes, please. I, I'm, I was surprised when they announced that. Like quite late, they said we're bringing softer compounds. It must have been planned in advance, though. But yes, please, Pirelli. Yeah, be brave, bring the soft compounds. It's, it's definitely better. All right, I've delayed uh, Perez chat long enough. And actually what I'm going to do is I'm just going to recuse myself. I'm going to hand it over to Matt to, uh, to manage the, the Sergio Perez chat. I'll, I'll leave you the question because in the Sky commentary, it was described as a, a statement drive. And as a, a Perez fan... I don't think it was. I'm a little disappointed. I'm disappointed enough to just put you three on screen and go and take a little break.
1: Well, I'm going to start with the fact that Perez made Q3 for the first time in five races, and then he finishes third on the podium, even though he only started ninth. So I don't know. Is that an improvement? Seems like it to me. Kyle, what do you think? I
4: think it's a bit of an improvement, but it's still an underperformance, isn't it? putting P9 when your teammate is lost out to pole by three thousandths of a sec- second and was really unhappy with the balance. Now didn't hear Sergio complaining too much about the balance. And let's not forget first flying lap in FP1. He sticks it into the wall with his shiny new parts on. Oh, I is heard not that bit. Good. I
2: hadn't quite gone yet.
4: <laughs> um, it wasn't so good. And you have, kind of have to ask the question um, that, Why was he pushing that hard on his first lap with his shiny new parts? I think it's a driver clearly under pressure, but credit where credit's due, these things can snowball. He's under pressure. He needs to go and make a good impression. So you push a bit harder. You're more likely to make mistakes when you push harder and it can easily snowball and get out of control. So he didn't, he recovered it. Okay. But yeah, as Verstappen said, the car was set up well for the race. He, he didn't do a good job in qualifying at all. So his, his recovery drive is flattered by his bad performance in qualifying and he got through the pack. I think the Red Bull today was probably the strongest it's looked all season in compared to everyone else. So I think it was a decent drive from Perez. I don't think it was a career-defining drive, shall we say.
3: So counterpoint, um, without just wanting to beat up on Perez, I think he did probably the bare minimum that he could get away with this weekend and us not consider it adding to the pile of bad performances. You had two pretty major errors in practice. Obviously the crash car mentioned the big lockup in the next session. He then qualifies for Q3, but right at the back of Q3 in an absolutely dominant car. And we can, we can probably set aside whether or not he's got an identical car to max, because I think he probably does. And I think he just can't live with the kind of setups you need to, to drive it fast. And so that's not the car's fault. Um, The driver has to drive it fast. So anyway, the car has such a margin on everyone that you should be up the front regardless. And I mean, I think that's still one of the biggest gaps to a teammate in the field. Admittedly, Max, obviously one of the best drivers in the field, but, and then in the race, he finishes nearly 40 seconds behind the winner. I know he has to come through the field again. That's his fault. So I think probably consider it the absolute bare minimum performance and, I think the Perez question is still unanswered, particularly when Ricardo actually had a a pretty strong weekend, stronger than I thought he was going to have. Uh, Maybe we're going to talk about Ricardo later.
1: The warmth and empathy in your response there, Brad, as a fellow driver, really speaks to me as a fellow human being. But I'm just going to say this in slight defense of Perez. I have heard as a rumor, that he's insisting to drive the same car as Max because it's the fastest possible car, even though his engineers are telling him if he would accept a slightly slower car, he would be closer to Max.
4: Kyle. Yes, and I think we said this on the previous uh, race review for silverstone that yeah a fast car is not necessarily easy to drive and max can live with it on the nose Schumacher used to do this as well and live and hamilton in the mclaren days button alluded to it said he can drive the car unbalanced on the nose and i can't deal with it so it just goes to show that yeah it's it's a good plus for max but also for Perez, it is extremely hard brad's exactly right like he's not he's not driving the car and or cannot handle the setups the way they are but fair play for sticking with it but he's not accepting he doesn't want to accept second rate tools in his eyes so he's not going to accept a slower setup which will probably be better for him overall he's trying to force himself into driving this car and that's probably exasperated by the fact that they had uh new upgrades this weekend they get no time to test them on actual track at all they get no time to do that so so he was kind of probably backed in backed into a corner so yes it was a decent it was a decent drive and a good drive but one thing i found really surprising about his drive today and that was the fact that he got stuck behind hamilton for three laps on much fresher tyres I, I i was absolutely expecting him to blitz past hamilton but he was really struggling in the middle sector he was dropping way back behind hamilton in the middle sector which is not putting him close enough to make advantage of the drs down the straight dirty air is dirty air right brad yeah, I, I wasn't quite so
3: surprised about that, just because Hungaroring ring is so hard to to overtake on. But I also think Max in the same position would have done it faster. So yeah, um, I, I think I'm at risk of of just sounding mean to Perez. So uh, I've I've probably said everything I need to about the Perez situation. He's got a bunch more races this year to prove me wrong and and do better. Um, but as it stands either Max is absolutely godlike and the car isn't actually quite as good as we think and Perez is doing a really decent job or it's more likely the car is just as good as we think it is and Perez just doesn't have his act
1: together this season and and his seat is at risk well as much as we have tried to spare spanners the elephant in this room is actually in an Alpha Tauri named Daniel Ricciardo and his performance this weekend has raised more questions about Perez's seat than it is answered. I've been a bit of a Ricardo naysayer over the last two years.
3: Um, I've been quite critical of his performances versus Norris, and and I mean I think it was clear for all to see that Norris spanked him for two seasons, and didn't matter what Ricardo did in response. He I know he had the one win at Monza, but we we know the reasons for that, and it was a real anomaly in those two seasons, and and he was you know kind of chased away from the seat and replaced with a rookie. And I was very well. I'm happy that he went away and kind of had a mental reset. But I was not optimistic he would be on Sonoda's pace this weekend. And I think I've been proven wrong because in Q one he was a fractionally quicker. So Sonoda did an eighteen nine one nine. Ricardo was eighteen nine zero. So a hundredth quicker in Q one. That then afforded him Q two, and obviously on the softer tyres he went nearly a second quicker and thirteenth start. You know, starting thirteenth, getting. Pretty much balked at the first corner because of the other incidents that were going on and finishing 13th in a car that's been one of the very worst of the field, I think was a super strong performance. So we'll see what happens going forward. But I was actually impressed by Ricardo this weekend.
4: Yeah, I think he's been incredibly good and sound this weekend. Now, Christian Horner made a very interesting comment uh, a few days before the weekend, and that was he was, that was. When they got Ricardo back into the simulator, he was amazed at how many bad habits that he had picked up. So I think he got a bit lost at McLaren and it just kind of goes to show that maybe Red Bull really good at getting the best out of some of their drivers or he reacts well to being treated in, in Red Bull because Horner said, yeah, he used the exact words of he's picked up all these bad habits, but we kind of knocked them out of him and we got him back to where he was. So jump in the car. Yes, he had one test in it. But go to Hungaroring, hugely physical track. And yeah, Brad, you'll simplify this. Like when your neck goes and you're not quite up to fitness, you're doing this. It is horrible. So it's probably one of the worst tracks you can come back to to jump back into an F1 car in. And yeah, I expected him to be a couple of attempts off Sonoda all weekend. Because I think it's a big ask to, to get you to match somebody who's been in the car all season and knows it inside out. And he jumps straight in. And yeah, he's pretty He out-qualified and he did really well 13th in the race. He was last, I think, after the first lap after the Alpines retired because he got caught up in the cluster fluff at Turn 1. So he was actually ready. He actually put in an amazing drive. So, yeah, I think he massively, massively proved all of us wrong because I, at the end, I was sad to see him go out of the sport, but it was deserved. He did really, really bad at McLaren. So it's interesting
1: that bad habits comment because that's a bit of a dig at McLaren, really. Chew on this. He did a 40 lap stint on mediums to finish his race. A 40 lap stint. Wow. And that was his first race back. I was fully in the camp mm. of, I'm not even going to bother to compare <laughs> him to Sonoda until he's had, you know, a couple of races at minimum to come up to speed on the Alpha Tauri. And then he walks in, and everyone was like, oh, Friday, he looks so slow. I'm like, no, yeah, no, they're just. They're just making sure he can drive the car in in a straightish kind of line, and then he shows up to qualifying, does the job he does, and despite getting punted in the diffuser, which I'm sure must have cost him some points. No, it, down it made us, him
2: faster because it put it put uh you know it put energy into the rear of the car.
1: He still winds up finishing <laughs> ahead of Sonoda in the race mm. and in qual. I mean, just. Yeah, no, if you're Daniel Ricciardo, this this is like a dream weekend. Somehow I walk <laughs> oh, into this team so, yeah. Yeah, I've done no. better than the the person who's I been agree. here for two years.
2: I and, and I'm back. And uh, so I assume we've finished assassinating Perez. And, uh, you know, my, my third favorite probably driver on the grid is Yuki Snowda. And really, it's a bit of a nightmare scenario, DeVries being sacked and then having Ricardo come in because it's sort of... A little bit lose lose because Sonoda was already showing he was better than De Vries, and that was great. So as a Sonoda fan, you know his job is to beat DeFries, and then hang on in there, beat whoever it comes in next next season, maybe Lawson, and then uh, go to Red Bull, have a have an apprentice season at Red Bull, wait for Verstappen to retire with five championships or whatever, and then he goes on to be the number one. Now it's become a lot more complicated, especially if Ricardo is going to go in there and perform. Mm.
1: Well, the thing that I've heard that complicates your uh, narrative there is that Tsunoda is essentially a Honda driver, and Honda is going to have absolutely bupkis to do with Red Bull in 2026. So we might actually see Tsunoda at Aston, assuming Alonso eventually gets old enough to not want to drive an F1 car
2: Okay, well, in that case, then Tsunoda has to wait for Lance Stroll to win a championship get bored, retire, and go to London to do a business degree. Because that's what Canadian billionaires do. Satisfy their father's, you know, dreams to be an F1 driver and then go and do a proper job, apparently. All right. So, last team I want to get to before we get to the awards is Sauber, uh, Alfa Romeo. Uh, Alfa Romeo for a few races yet. What on earth is going on with Alfa Romeo? Just from nowhere, Wanyu Joe starts in fifth place. And that is just... Absolutely incredible. That is the standout performance of qualifying. And I I just like, I thought it was one of those random things, uh, Brad, where, you know, in in Friday practice or or FP3, they just do a a low fuel glory run and you go, okay, well, that's good. That shows us how much fuel other teams are carrying. And then they showed off by carrying it into FP1, uh, into Q1. And I thought, oh, well, maybe that's just a hard tyre. And then they kept, then he goes and gets fifth. What is going on with Sauber? Yeah, so that that qualifying result was
3: so surprising. I didn't even realize it had happened yeah, it until register. I looked back at the results <laughs> after because I just wouldn't have expected to see them there at all. Um, I was reading about what actually happened to Joe at the start because it, it almost looked from the replay I initially saw that he just wasn't paying attention. It looked so bad. It looked like it he just awful. missed the lights. Yeah. However, he said um, in his post-race comments that there was there was an issue, like a clutch issue where he had to effectively do like a manual start. He said it wasn't even a race start. He had to just pull away because it, the car just didn't go when he told it to. Um, and then that caused the whole extra problem of him trying to overcompensate oh, a turn oh, one. And he actually took full responsibility good. for well, good, braking too to late at the first yeah, corner. Yeah, yeah. So he, he had a problem, but potentially a technical problem, then compounded it massively yeah. by trying to overcompensate, which to any, any up-and-coming drivers out there listening, never try and... Never try and overcompensate for a bad thing that's happened. Just yeah. carry on like it didn't happen because it always makes it worse. Um, and then obviously he got a penalty for that, and his race was done. But the qualifying pace was genuinely yeah, it was impressive. Good. So I it mean, shows some teams over one lap It doesn't matter that if you need to keep your tires alive for a longer stint, and they can do decent results.
2: You're a gambler, Kyle. I imagine you in <laughs> some CD uh, lock-ins, playing a bit of poker. It's when when you've got your when you've got the the three aces and you, you really should win, and then some idiot. Who who had a seven two has suddenly like flopped a full house, and they beat you, and you yeah. you know you should have won that hand. So the next hand you go crazy and go all in. That's what Wanyu Joe did. A bad thing happened, and then he went, "I've got to make up for it immediately." Yep,
4: we've all been there. Yes, we've all <laughs> yes, been, we've all been um... in that same bar. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, I feel really sorry for sauber really because that was their best performance they had been running around pretty much near the back of the Mm -hmm. races this year being the slowest car and for whatever reason they didn't have any upgrades i don't think for whatever reason it just clicked it works in these temperatures in this in the speed range of this track it just clicked and obviously the new construction of tyre probably has helped them more than Mm -hmm. other cars but they were sitting pretty and with joe going and it's interesting to hear from brad that it was a mistake because we were watching the footage earlier and you can see him release the clutch nothing happens and it kind of goes when he pulls the clutch back in it's really strange what happens something flashes up on his steering wheel briefly so yeah and then overcompensating bottas got caught out in that crash as well so he kind of ruined bottas's start wait wait hang on hang
2: on hang on kyle how can you possibly say whose fault it is until we've played the game (laughs) whose fault is it He's a game, like, okay, so, so when Joe pile drives into the back of like eight cars emulating Bottas in 2021.
4: But, Kyle, whose fault do you think it was? <laughs> uh, clearly, clearly Joe's <laughs> fault, but there is a mitigating factor. Yes, he broke a bit too late. And this is just like with the Bottas thing a few years ago. He was running really close to the car in front. You lose downforce when you're running that close to a car in front and you lose braking performance. He probably didn't account for that. And once you get so close to a car uh, in front, you lose all downforce and that just exasperates the situation and he's gone into there. So he hasn't actually steamed in. It wasn't a huge hit. It was a love tap really, but it's caused the catalyst was terrible and it ended up us over as well unfortunately and it's just the whole yeah i would feel really bad for sale because they're probably rubbing their hands with glee he goes right this is gonna be great starting to order the champagne for the christmas party <laughs> oh, this is gonna be great no. really, we're gonna get loads of points here and oh, boom the, no all the, over this by will be the one, best
2: send-off for for derrick in the in the clutch department <laughs> like he's been working on those clutches all season and uh now he's fired uh brad i was
3: i was sad for. The Alpines, not because I'm a particular fan, but because Gasly got a mega run down to the first corner, got past a bunch of people, and then was immediately nerfed. And obviously Ocon was hit so hard he broke his seat, which is something I've never even heard of.
1: Yeah, well, the thing with Ocon is he actually encountered Gasly's rear wheels with his rear wheels and it just spat his car, like he said, you know, two to three meters in the air And it was the landing that broke his seat. The seats aren't really designed to absorb, G's that particular direction. But it does bring me back to Mercedes in a way. If Russell had been that far up on the grid, would they have started one of the Mercedes on the soft tires? And if they had, like, what, what would the different result we have seen? Because I don't know. I don't know about you, but to me, it was pretty obvious. Mercedes was just not having a good time on the hard tires.
2: Yeah. So, look, like, yeah, well, better luck next time. Salba. I suppose, Aldi, uh, Alpha Romeo. Uh, but, yeah, it, it was good to see, you know, those guys get their chance, get their shot. And, you know, Wanyu Joe, I think, is that his highest qualifying? It must be. And then yeah. he's, he's got that chance. He knows he's on telly. The further up you are, you know your family's going to see you and they're all gathered round and they're, oh, there he is. There's a the little Bubby. Go on, puppy, Go on, puppy, You can do this. Oh, he didn't start. Oh, he's like, Took everyone out.
1: Yeah, but imagine if he'd actually made a good start. Who would he have taken out? Oh, like... Stafford, Norris, <laughs> yeah. Max. Yeah, I'm just saying, it was all there, just like it was for Valtteri.
2: A real shame, because I see potential. Obviously, a completely washed weekend for Alpine, so there's not too much to say about the, the French outfit. I have to say, initially, though, it was like I saw two Alpines come together. That's what I saw in the distance. I thought, oh, this is going to be amazing. Please say it was Ocon taking out Gasly, so that I can rip Matt on the podcast. But no, they were both <laughs> they were both innocent. Uh, Aston Martin hasn't come up because they've kind of faded to where I said they'd
1: fade. It was just the tires. No, it wasn't. Oh it was God. entirely the tires. Oh. They gave them new tires, and the tires were entirely designed to make Aston slow. Aston. Oh my. God.
2: So I. This is this is the thing. Like that's obviously not true. Yeah, it's not true. Because the dip started before the new tyres came in. And then Alonso's thing was like, oh, well, also Red Bull. Red Bull are also struggling. And then they won by 30 seconds. So someone has told Alonso that they were going to be on the podium every race. Because he said that. He said, we're going to be on the podium every race. And I was like, oh, wow. He really knows something that is completely contrary to any logical guess or the evidence of our own eyes. And and then sure enough, they have dipped down. So he's got to find something to blame. It's the tires. I don't believe that at all. And Brad has pointed out that we haven't mentioned Ferrari at all. Uh, well, in that case, Brad, I take it away. And in fact, what I would say to you, Brad, giving me little notes in the Zoom message chat, is that I, I'm on it. That's what I'd say.
3: Uh, it was actually Kyle that was that was saying we hadn't mentioned Ferrari, but yeah. I was then just going to say loads about that because <laughs> I find it quite uh, an interesting yeah. situation that McLaren in their new upgraded guys have currently almost exactly 50% of the points that Ferrari have on the board. Mm -hmm. We've got half the season left to go. So by my calculations, even if McLaren just scored 10 points more than Ferrari per race, maybe, maybe less, they're going to easily overhaul them by the end of the season. Mm. And you'll have had a team that's gone from being one of the worst. And sometimes at the beginning of the season, the worst car on the grid And a car that would have entered the season, potentially thinking they're going to fight for the championship, you could have them swap in the standings. and McLaren could get
1: fourth. Well, at the rate they're starting cars on soft tires and making them sit behind cars on medium tires, undercutting the leader on the track with the person behind who gets speeding penalties and then results in the both of them being passed by Russell at the end of the race. It's hard not really to agree with you then. (laughs) It's Oof. weird to think that Ferrari might be at risk, but right now, given the decision-making at Ferrari and their gone. inability, mm. because they put them on two sets of hard tires, they were the first, the highest up team to do this. And again, if you look at the finishing and who finished on what tires, it's pretty obvious the hard tire was a terrible tire to be on. So either the car is such a disaster, they can't run the softer compound, in which case the car is a disaster and genuinely for the fastest. Or, as I might have pointed out in the past, ter- <laughs> Ferrari is so terrible at understanding the tires that they, of all the top teams, will make the choice to put their car on the slowest possible tire every time they have that choice. Doesn't really matter how you cut it. They're at serious risk. Piastri's not a joke as a driver. Norris is quite good, and the McLaren is now very, very fast. It's They have more season left than they have points to give right now.
4: Yeah, and um, with Seen this before, I've said this countless times on this podcast. It's like they have no confidence in their own decision making. And they asked the drivers. They did it again. I think Science yeah, cut back. Yeah. It was like, Well, tell me, you know, what's what's going on? And you can't when you're driving the car, you can't be having to try to think and call your yeah. own strategy, which is what Science is doing. Uh they missed they missed the trick in the first stint. They should have instantly put Science ahead of Leclerc to make use of his softs, then pit him out of that. They didn't they didn't do that. And Bless him. I don't know what the guy's name is. Bless the him. strategy guy when he comes Phil over, Leclerc. We are checking. Is that V? Yeah,
2: Zavi something.
4: Oh yeah. Um. Yeah. Keep it up. We are checking. It's his voice now is almost synonymous with a bad decision. You know something. Bad is a bad decision is just about to be made when you hear him say okay. that. And yeah,
1: it's like, oh, I, I know, like, but can, I, can, I, can kind of I defend? We're on it. We're can, on it. Yeah, we're so. on it. <laughs> we're on it, and you can trust me. Yeah, yeah, they, Buy your used yeah. car from. We're on it as
4: balls are rolling around everywhere because they've dropped yeah. them already. The, 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 the
2: we're on it, It was that, that's the least confidence I've ever had from a, a reassuring <laughs> radio comment ever. But uh, let's, let, let's defend, I'm going to defend the race engineer a little bit. So it's Javier uh, Marcos Pedros is the uh, Spanish engineer, that is managing Leclerc, as far as I can Google. But I have, uh, I, I'm assuming he goes by Javi. Uh, but I don't feel like he's like Bono, going like, stay calm, box, box, box. This is what we're doing. Here's the strat. How do you feel about this? I, I feel like he's almost like an, someone in Ferrari. DM me. I will not give away the, the the source. I promise. I never have ever revealed a source. But it doesn't feel like he's making decisions. It feels like he's a middleman. It feels like he's having to go back and forth. And it feels like he's terrified that he's gonna upset the driver and then he's gonna upset the the management. And I I don't feel that individual there does not sound like he's empowered to be the boss over the radio in the way that uh Verstappen's Verstappen's engineer is like his boss, that feels like. Bono's in charge of Hamilton. I don't get that sense of Ferrari, Kyle.
4: Yeah, and yeah, I don't it's nothing against him personally, and I don't think it's his fault. It's like he's turning around to his strategy team and he's like what do we do? What do we do? And they're like, I don't know. We don't know. Say something. Just say something. Yeah. Say anything to the driver. Just, right. just, just delay him because I don't think he's getting the feedback because their internal processes are just, are just jelly. I don't know what's okay. going on,
2: Matt. Are we being unfair here? Because I, I don't, I don't always, you know, like to, you know, name an individual and go, okay, well, that's a, a bad job. So because we don't understand the pressures, we don't understand the organisation and the, the structure. However, you know, since Rob Smedley, race engineers are significant personalities in the sporting team so i th- I think we're okay aren't we looking at those personalities
1: uh, yeah but as someone who has suffered a long time with the knicks being owned by the Dolans, and right. if you're a new yorker you'll get that
2: i'm not and I what don't. i
1: would say is the problem here is that everyone's waiting for Ag- Agnelli on his yacht to pick up his cell phone and there answer a question there we go
4: yeah yeah, I'm with it, you. I'm it is with a you. it is
1: a right mess. Look, Ferrari is not going to win the drivers' championship. They're not going to win the constructors championship. Why are you screwing around undercutting signs ahead on the track with Leclerc, who then gets the speeding penalty? When it, the only thing that should matter to you is how many how many gross points can my team bring home this weekend to keep me out of McLaren's clutches? They're being ridiculous with their decision making. Can you hear Matt? My... I don't think
2: I've heard Matt like that. I'm going to save that replay. That's going all over the TikToks. Uh, Wow, Brad, match that energy right now. Start just yelling at the the YouTube.
3: So I understand Matt's frustration (laughs) because when you've got uh, a company, a race team, a sporting entity that's employing a group of professionals to make these strategic decisions with all the information available to them. And we've we've said this in the past about bad strategic decisions, probably about Ferrari. Um, And (laughs) you've got people like Matt, but like thousands of other people at home as well who watch and understand and take these things seriously, who could genuinely make better strategic calls from their sofa, not saying that, like, uh, there's no um, exaggeration there, that you could, Matt could have called the race better from his position. It makes you wonder what on earth's going wrong. I didn't quite catch this uh, message, but there was a part where I think it was Leclerc, uh, in fact, I'm sure it was Leclerc, asked a question and the the engineer said we'll 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 with this at the end and he said no i need to know now but the race is happening now he he was actually asking if he could pit. he was actually
2: asking if he could pit, if he could get on tires matt so uh, from that point of view i think you're justified to be yelling at the telly as as someone who like likes leclerc
1: yeah i like leclerc too they they punted his pit stop he came out behind signs Signs should have been sent through on the softs, and it all should have been dealt with in a much different way to begin with. I think probably everyone would agree with me, but dealing with the situation there, they screwed up Leclerc's pit stop. What they should have said was, we screwed up your pit stop, but we're trying to get maximum points for the team. You're not winning the driver's championship anyway, so just suck it up and deal. Sorry. And instead, they undercut signs. Leclerc got a penalty. And that opened up Russell to pass signs and get close enough to Leclerc that he wound up taking sixth place. And they lost, like, essentially, what, th- three, four, five points because of it, which doesn't seem like a lot. But times how many races are less, left times how much ahead of McLaren they are, those are going to add up quick. That's just what I'm saying.
4: Yeah, it's crazy. And it was this time last year I sat on the same race review and I did say if a semi-drunk bloke on the sofa can call it better, then <laughs> semi-drunk they need to maybe look... <laughs> That's you and me out, Kyle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, if a semi-drunk like, sort of bloke on the sofa can call it better, then then they need to have a look at what they're doing. Now, we're starting to hear the drivers getting a bit angry now. I think the drivers yes, have are. completely lost confidence. Mm-hmm. They have their, like, mm. their great hope in Charles Leclerc. And I fear if they keep gaffing like this, that they're going to lose Leclerc to someone else.
1: Because I think he's almost had enough. I'm just going to come back with the thing with drivers is you have to be consistent about how you're going to handle situations. If Mercedes and Toto has taught us anything, the only way to manage good drivers in a complex relationship is to be very clear with them ahead Mm. of time, what the rules are and how things are going to be played. And what it's starting to smell like and feel like to me is they have told Leclerc, well, no matter what, you're going to finish ahead of signs. And that's to their own detriment. And it's just, it, it's wrong. It's wrong because they're not in a position where they're going to win either championship right now.
2: And I just, just just from a, a podcasting point of view and from a, a, a pundit point of view, uh, talking to our audience now, I, I know, in, in fact, if you listen to most F1 podcasts, there is always a focus on the negative things that happened more than these people did brilliantly. And that's because in a motorsport scenario, it's just much easier to see the bad things. It's much harder to spot when people do kind of a quiet, good job. So I think on the race reviews, it does stand out when people do do something bad. And in the race reviews, we do tend to kind of point those things out as they are the most kind of eventful things that have happened. I think in the news shows, that gives us more of an opportunity to say, right, looking at things in the round, who do we think is doing a good job? And I, I think that is going to be a feature of, of race reviews. I'm not sure there's an awful lot we can do about that because the things that really stand out and bite you are when you have those radio interactions with Ferrari, when you see wheel-to-wheel action and a multiple world champion kind of gives up three places off pole or when a team balks some uh, pit stop or when they fluff a bit of, of strategy. Those are the things that come, kind of come out and bite you. And in a high-pressure sport where there is an ultimate pace and there is an ultimate performance available in that man-machine combo, then that is always going to be kind of a reality where when you've got sport, you know, like 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 javelin, it's well, who threw it the furthest? You know, oh, that was good. That one that one went really far. <laughs> where there's a limit to the ultimate performance, and a lot of time, uh, you know, if you do sim racing, you do kart racing, your best performances are when nothing goes wrong and you're able to just do what you do well throughout the course of the race. All right. Let's move on to the podium. A Hungarian Grand Prix where Pirelli turned up with the awesome responsibility that they have taken on in Formula One, which is pretty much drive all the strategy and all the excitement. Pirelli now dictate with Formula One the shape of the races. It's an incredibly hard job. They got it right. I want to you know, acknowledge that and encourage and hope that they will continue giving us challenging tyre management conditions for a, a race that is almost like an endurance race compressed down to two hours, if that makes sense. It gives the teams something to focus on and something to manage. If you go back and watch full races where there was a tyre war and the teams were just trying to make the best performing tyre to last a race distance, I, I would challenge you to say that that is better racing than what we have in the Pirelli era. Of course, I believe that the best era of F1 was the groove tyres. No one agrees with me. It will make Kyle spitting mad and Matt spitting mad as well. Do you know what? We can do a whole podcast on it because you're wrong. The groove tyre tire era was absolutely the correct way to go. Groove tyres, rip the wings off. Stop all shaking your heads at me. I've muted you all. There's, there's no way that anyone can come back at me. Uh, however... For the Hungarian Grand Prix, we have to give out some awards. So let's start with our Good Thing Award. It's our Thing of the Weekend. Oh, I suppose we do get to be rather positive here. Okay, who's the most positive among us? I think it's Kyle. Kyle, you bastion of joy. And do you know why you're a bastion of joy? Because you've got two lovely little kittens in your house. And I, Kyle, I want to come to your house and play with your kittens.
4: Please do, because they're growing up fast. (laughs) I almost (laughs) want to find a way to stop them growing up so quick because they're adorable.
2: Yeah, I know. You just you have to just just move house, hope they stay in the old house and then get new kittens. No, the kitten phase goes so, so quickly. I will be at your house in a second uh, with some IPA and a fishing rod. Uh, But (laughs) in the meantime, in your spirit of joyful kitten parenting, who was your thing of the weekend this
4: weekend? Or what was my thing of the weekend? Or or when? Not, or when was your yeah, thing of the weekend? I'm not. I was torn on this one, and I'm not going to take the one that I think somebody else will take. Or I hope someone takes it. My thing of the weekend is Pirelli finally bringing soft the compound tires. That's my. That's my. That's my thing. I've been banging yeah. on about it for ages. I've made Twitter posts. I've sat on here for the last two years. <laughs> I think going on about it, and they finally did it. I think, I think Thank it was you. you. More of that Pirelli. I think it was you. I think the head boss of
2: Pirelli said, "Hey, uh, Giovanni, you know what, what? What compounds are we bringing? I cannot take. I cannot take the, the pressure from Kyle Power anymore. Let's go two <laughs> steps softer." And they went fine, fine. Let us let us do what this Kyle says.
4: Clearly, that was the
2: only that's the only logical explanation. And if you want to follow Kyle's rants, he does sit and have a rant on Twitter. So at Kyle F one on Twitter. Go follow. I've been giving
4: it. some parroting advice recently and yeah, it seems <laughs> to gone down well. You've
2: got a mega tweet. Yeah, go and follow Kyle and check that out. Uh, everyone's <laughs> links are in the show notes in your app or on YouTube. Uh, Matt puts them there later on. So uh Brad. Hello, Brad. Hello. You've, you don't need any help with uh, followers. You've got you've got far too many followers on Twitter. You
3: you haven't quite caught me on Twitter yet. No, you've got your like,
2: streets ahead on threads. I, I'm be, I'm winning on threads, yes. And Instagram, everyone follow me on Instagram. I'm posting more pictures. I promise. Uh, but yeah, on Threads, I'm winning, Brad. Yeah,
3: yeah. I'm going to put that down to the fact that I think I've got an underscore in my name on Threads and Instagram <laughs> Never, at, ever, at ever Bradley underscore Philpot. Um, yeah. So my my thing of the weekend was that for whatever happened today, we got a really interesting Saturday, and I enjoyed qualifying. The grid was. Kind of mixed up, but not artificially. It was, it wasn't a reverse grid. It wasn't a wet session. Um, it was just quite mixed, and it gave us the prospect of a really interesting Sunday, which didn't quite materialise. But I really enjoyed Saturday, so that's my thing of the weekend.
2: I don't know. I feel like you just said a bunch of negative stuff and then said Saturday was fine. Yeah. Oh, Saturday,
3: okay. Saturday, Saturday was good. Saturday okay. was really good. Oh, okay. I, I had a, and not just because Hamilton was on pole. It was just the kind of the. I enjoyed the sessions. I enjoyed the way they went. I did as well.
2: I did as well. But I had friends over who had never seen me watch a live F1 uh, session before. And it just happened to be Hamilton's first poll in like 18 months. And they now understand how obsessed I am with Formula One. And I got told off quite a lot.
3: I know I've just done a whole thing of the weekend. Can yeah. I retract that and do a different one? Yeah, sure. Yes, um, Because I've just seen um, Paddy in, the, in our live chat mention the F1 juniors. Now, I saw some negative comments about on the F1 Sky, Juniors on Sky, yeah. on, on Sky, but I thought they were great. I thought they were really professional. Um, and okay, it's the first time, and they're saying a lot of, it was brilliant, it was fantastic, but I, I was really impressed. And in particular, the young ginger lad whose name escapes me, I thought he could be slotted onto Saturday night TV, present game shows literally right now.
2: He was that good. So, I'm sorry if we've been offensive there because I think only is, gingers can call each other gingers. I'm pretty you sure. have
3: previously said, I'm sure someone said ginger a hate word, but I don't see it like that because <laughs> I am one. You even called yeah, my beard ginger you before the a, show. You've so. got a bit of a
2: ginger beard. So yeah, okay. Yeah, they,
3: they were excellent and excellent. they actually were my thing of the weekend despite
2: what any of the naysayers say. Matt Trumpets, you are the reason why uh, all the links are in the show notes below. But you are at MattPT55 on Twitter and on threads and Matt Trumpets on Instagram and Facebook. So everyone go yep. and follow Matt. I'm actually I'm annoyed everyone listening to my voice now. I'm annoyed that so few of you follow Matt on social media. Please fix that immediately. Thank you. What's your thing of the weekend, Matt?
1: Well, this is challenging for me because I had the one thing, but I've also got the other thing. And I was really surprised. No one has so far mentioned Hamilton passing three cars in a single lap chasing down Perez wow. at the end of the race Blue as a flags. thing to be impressed by. But that's not my thing of the weekend. I just mention it by the by. My thing of the weekend is Oscar Piastri Ooh, phew, on didn't the radio okay. after his fight with Perez and his engineer comes on and goes did perez force you off the track you poor victim you and he goes well yeah he didn't leave me a lot of room just absolutely refusing to play the game that clearly the <laughs> yeah. everybody wanted him to play he was supposed and to so say yeah yeah <laughs> he was supposed, he was to, supposed say, to say no he yeah. left me no room and
2: i'm crying now i nearly and died it's- and it's all
1: because of sergio exactly <laughs> uh, but, uh, so I think that gets my thing of the weekend because that was enough.
2: very impressive. That's very good. But also, like um, I on the Ringer podcast earlier, I was I was urging Americans not to be fooled by British politeness because uh, a Brit being no, polite never. could mean anything. They could be about to murder you, and you're like, oh, what a polite, lovely, you know, young man. Uh, but with Australians, it's like understatement. So yeah it's so, like you know uh, you you just hit the wall flipped over caught on fire and went into the sun how are you doing oh yeah mate yeah i've got a little bit of a scrape on my elbow but i uh, will we'll get some kangaroo juice in there and it will be fine yeah so pa- piastri is not going to play that game they are not a a yelling <laughs> a particularly emotional bunch uh, unless they're playing cricket in which case they're utter utter turnips come on england uh, me thing of the weekend no one took norris <laughs> how's no one taken norris Oh, I'm, I'm amazed I get to have Lando Norris. Okay, good. Um, So I'm not like a mega Lando Norris fan or anything, but when you have the machinery under you and you have a quick teammate and you have the opportunity to, to shine in this environment where P2 was the best available, he got it and he got it well and he managed the pace well. He managed the tyres well. He managed the gap to a charging Perez well. Thing of the weekend, Lando Norris. All right, well, that's enough for positivity i guess we get to continue being negative with our missed apex award
4: oh no you missed the apex
2: all right let's lay down some heat let's lay down some hot takes kyle you're a kind of negative guy you're always just you know uh, teasing kittens and 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 dangling a thing in front of them a feather which they're destined to never catch so you're Mm -hmm. a kind of horrible guy What's your that, what's your
4: negative thing of the weekend? That is the exact toy that I have been using. Yes. Um, I know I've been yeah. watching
2: the videos and they're so <laughs> lovely. <laughs> um uh
4: my my negative thing of the weekend is uh is Aston. Like Yeah, man. Where what's happened? It's Aston Anonymous. Like mm-hmm. they're probably all sitting round just like, What's happened? You know? I once believed I could be on the podium every race. I even believe he made the comment that we will crush them when he comes in now. And yeah, what's 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 happened? Um, oh, yeah, he said crush, didn't he? We're going to yeah. crush whatever upgrades come. Um, and I just I just mm. don't know what's gone on there. And I think it's only a finite amount of time where Alonso's going to start getting a bit impatient because, mm. as you said earlier, they've obviously promised him something yeah. they've been telling him a lot of things and it's not delivering. So, so yeah, it's happening. So they are my, my my missed apex of the weekend.
2: And without dwelling on it too much, okay, so obviously I'm just some mug in a shed. but But from race one, I was like, yeah, this is good, but... Th- they came from 7th to 2nd. So they've obviously front-loaded the, the development. Something's happened. You know, they've thrown it all at a good start. And that's kind of what Force India did. And that's kind of what Racing Point did. So that it felt obvious. But Alonso seems distraught about it. Like, they obviously didn't sell him on that. They told him something else. And, it, and it's not quite happening. But look, we'll wait and see. Maybe it is magically the tyres that came in three races after their predictable and predicted of drop off in development. Who knows, maybe. Oh, uh, Brad, who missed the Apex for you? So I actually
3: found this funny, um, but it's still they missed the apex in this moment. Lando Norris doing his um signature Champagne celebration! Oh no! And and destroying a forty thousand euro six month lead time trophy, handmade, uh, handmade, on the handmade trophy, as and then well. laughing
4: over it. So for those oh. those
3: people who switched off by this point, um, or who don't know Norris's signature move, he. Ever since he's in the junior categories and he's on the podium, he basically slams his champagne bottle into the floor and that then sets a big jet of champagne off and and it looks really cool. But he's got this wrong a couple of times. He has smashed a bottle before Mm -hmm. um, and just looked forlorn. And um, today he smashed a trophy uh, because he knocked Max's trophy off the top step Mm. and it, it was made of beautiful porcelain and it smashed to pieces.
2: Yeah, I I just, some of that is on the people who decided to have a delicate porcelain trophy on the podium of an F1 race. So I, I would suggest the responsibility is shared. But, oh, yeah, that is, it was a little bit heartbreaking.
4: Kyle? can, I, can Yeah, can I just, I think, because it is kind of funny, but if I was the person who'd spent six months making that by hand and no, it's not funny somebody at all. just smash it. Then walk over it and then basically just laugh about it. I thought I thought that was a bit disrespectful. Hang, hang, <laughs>
2: really? on, hang on, hang on. I would say I would say Lando Norris is entirely used to being able to do that his whole career, and most of the mm. trophies are not like indestructible. So I
4: don't I, know, it was it didn't really it, it was funny, but it didn't really actually think about
2: it. Did it, like,
1: it rub mm. you wrong, Kyle? It <laughs> it, okay. It's it made I,
4: <laughs> To me, it depends on what the drivers were told. So
2: if at the beginning of the race they've gone, right, just so you know, guys, there's a podium thing and like these trophies are like Wall, like that you need to really take care but i suspect that brief wasn't made although you know i I understand your sympathy towards the the people who organized that kyle uh uh uh, kyle wait till you have like kids or more kittens you just never have anything nice because you can't trust them Uh, matt who missed the apex for you
1: well this is actually a challenge because i was going to go with the exact one that brad picked and now now i find myself up in the air don't take mine what do i choose here because my main choice has been taken there were so many things that went wrong but at the end of the day it's got to be joe (laughs) into ricardo into Ocon, into gasly corner pocket i mean uh i i i i actually i'm a big joe fan so this is particularly painful painful for me I don't think the start thing was necessarily his fault based on the onboard I viewed, although I know they're going to look at it later, which means we'll never know what really happened if it was his fault or not. But the braking thing, yeah, that was pretty much a hundred percent on them, and it was just, yeah, he just got caught out with the um with the, the with the dirty air and the full tanks, and we've seen plenty of drivers before make that exact same mistake. But only Botas has taken out more drivers, so at least there's that.
2: <laughs> okay, well that's cool. I can't believe you left me with the most obvious one, which is uh, the Miss Apex Award for me goes to Alpine, double DNF, lame, come back stronger in in Spa, keep your seats together, Ocon. All right, thank you very much for listening to for listening to Miss Apex podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, you might consider supporting us at Patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. Uh, go and follow all the crew on the social media and you can always email me and Matt by emailing feedback at mistapex.net. We absolutely love hearing from you. But until next time, which I think will be midweek, where we're going to, I think me, Matt and the Australians, Jono and Steve, I think we're going to try and pick our our grid of the century. So I think we're going to put together our top 20 drivers for the ultimate F1 grid uh, of drivers from this century. But until we see you next, work hard, be kind and have fun. This was Miss Apex Podcast. actually surprised how passionate that trophy chat got. And no, Keith, I'm not victim blaming the trophy.
0: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
1: This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding.